Good morning, Chapel Hill. I had uh, one of those sunrise moments a while back. I, I talked to you guys about the sunrise being a trigger uh, to think about the return of Christ and and um, what lies ahead for us. And it was it was one of those sunrises this morning as I drove in um, from Prior Lake and just watching the sun come up right in my face. And, and it was absolutely stunning. Um, and I got to tell you what it, it reminded me of as I was just sitting down here during the service. Um, before the sun came up, the sky was just red. It just was this dark pink. And it was there were clouds and, and the whole underside of the clouds were just covered in this dark pink color, just washed with it. It was beautiful. And then, um, even though I knew it was coming, suddenly the sun comes out of nowhere and this blast of bright gold comes at me, comes right in my face. And here's what, here's what it got me thinking of um, this morning. It got me thinking about Easter. It did. It got me thinking about Good Friday and that period before the sun rises. And there was just this anticipation and there was a little bit of gloom to it. And, and it wasn't bright. It was, it was kind of dark and it was, it, was, it, it was a whole different mood. And then all of a sudden, the sun just burst forth, and it was absolutely stunning. Um, I really strongly encourage you to, to do everything you can to be here on Easter this year and to bring people with you this year on Easter. Um, on Good Friday, when we have our 7 o'clock service, um, just understand that, that that service, that service is for us. That service is for the church. That service is a time for us to reflect on the death and burial of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for our sins. And, and we will look at that closely together and we'll have that kind of a tone for the evening. And then, um, and then later, for those who want to be here, we'll watch the Passion of the Christ together, as hard as that's going to be. Um, and you have permission to just ball your way through the whole thing, because that's what I did the first time I saw it. And I know it's going to do it to me again. Um, so I won't say a word during that. I'm just going to watch with the rest of you. Um, and then on Resurrection Sunday, um, we are going to... Um, and this is just to, to give you a picture of, of why to bring somebody. Um, we're going to tell the story. We're going to tell the story from creation to the resurrection of Christ. And we're going to look ahead to his return. And we have the service laid out in pieces to tell that story. And um, I can't wait to do it. Um, we're going to tell it through music and um, through uh, drama and through lots of different things. We're going to walk through that beautiful story. Of Jesus Christ, and so um, I, I just encourage you to um, to be here to bring somebody with you and um, bring them to a place where they will hear the story of Jesus in a very clear and compelling way. Um, be praying for that weekend already. Um, okay, uh, one of the things that has been a good distraction for me over the last couple of weeks has been the Paralympics. Um, the Paralympics have been on. They follow the, the Olympics, the Winter Olympics, right after that on the same location in Pyeongchang, South Korea. Um, they have the Paralympics, and the Paralympics have been on for the last couple of weeks. And um, I've been very pleased because there's been uh, a lot more to see on TV. We've been able to see a lot more events and, and that kind of stuff, much more coverage of the Paralympics this year. And I, I really enjoyed it. Um, they, it's gaining momentum. Um, they actually broke the record in South Korea for ticket sales to come and watch the Paralympics there as they were on. And so it's, um, it's good to see this 
rising up. The athletes in the Paralympic Games are absolutely amazing. Absolutely stunning what they can do. Um, but for instance, how many of you have cross-country skied before? I'm from Canada, so that's how I got to school. Um, this, was, this was one of those events. Now, if you've done it, which most of you have, you've cross-country skied, I want you to just try and imagine what it's like to cross-country ski with no arms. And not just to do it, but to race competitively with no arms. And they have categories in that event in the, in the cross-country skiing. And, and, and here are these athletes that are competing with no arms, um, racing against other Paralympic athletes. Some of them have one arm. Some of them have two arms. They have the advantage of, of poles, which are kind of a big deal in cross-country skiing. Um, but just watching these athletes compete and, and put so much into it um, was absolutely stunning. There was a, an event this year that I, that I was able to watch that I had never seen before, um, and it absolutely fascinated me. Um, and, and I want to show you a clip, not from the Olympics this year, they, those clips aren't ready yet, but um, from the World Cup last year in this event. And I want to just show you a brief clip of this event, and then I'll talk about it in a minute. So, so just watch this for a minute. Uh, getting ready to get underway. So uh, it should be Mena Fitzpatrick, but uh, wearing bib number three should be Denel Umstead. So uh, Fitzpatrick is already at the bottom of the run. What you're seeing is our second runner. So Fitzpatrick's time, I'll bring you in a couple of moments. Uh, 1.18.11 for Fitzpatrick. She's already at the bottom of the, uh, of the trail. This is uh, Danel Umstead on your screens now. Umstead. Her guide, of course, Rob Umstead, which is her husband. And, uh, the 44-year-old from uh, born in Illinois. He's our second runner. We should have had uh, Millie Knight as well. She was uh, a DNS at the start. Uh, a gold yesterday for Millie Knight. Can you blame her for perhaps not competing here today? Maybe saving herself for, uh, for other events coming up. She was a slalom bronze in the Worlds last year. I know he... Uh, Giant Slalom Silver, so maybe just keeping yourself fresh for those events. Uh, Umstead here. Yeah, Sochi and Vancouver fourth place finish for her at the Winter Paralympic Games. And again, these guides using everything they possibly can, from bright coloured clothing to, uh, to, their, uh, to their actual voice controls as well. They really talk the way through these VI athletes. And Umstead comes through the finishing line. And we'll take a look at the time in a second. She was in... Will that still be the case? Yeah, it definitely is. 116.50. Okay, now, if you didn't catch it, the second skier is blind. Seriously visually impaired. That's the event. Can you, can you imagine this? They all ski with guides going down the hill right in front of them. In this case, her guide was her husband. Um, sometimes it's friends, brothers, sisters, coaches. It varies. There are different guides that do this. But the guide talks the athlete down the mountain. Through every turn, 
calling out right and left commands, correction commands, and, and encouragement to speed up or just let it ride the way that they're going, the speed they're going. They've got headsets with microphones to communicate. The whole thing is absolutely amazing to me. Uh, when I lived up in Canada, I, I did ski, I downhill skied a lot, and I absolutely adore the sport. And, and I'm watching her and going, okay, she would have just blown me away in this race. There's no way I could have kept up with this seriously visually impaired athlete. Just absolutely blows my mind. Now, of course, there's an analogy in here somewhere. Um, I saw it very suddenly this last week and, and had to share it with you today. Um, Chapel Hill Church, this church, has a mission statement. We have a vision, we have a mission statement, and we have three core values. But we have this mission statement that reflects what we believe God is calling us to as his church. And here's our mission statement. Our mission is to guide people into a flourishing, contagious relationship with Jesus Christ. And I love this image that comes from the visually impaired slalom skiing because it instantly draws me into reflecting on the impact that I have on the people around me in this world. Do I see myself as a guide? And you know what this picture isn't? This picture is not a picture of someone sitting at a desk and someone up in the front of the classroom teaching that student. It's not a picture of somebody sitting in a chair while someone's up at the podium preaching to that person. To me, this picture communicates a different kind of impact than than what we typically think about when we hear the words, make disciples. I see life here. I see a follower of Jesus Christ guiding a not yet follower along life's trail. Why? For the sake of keeping that person safe, but also for the sake of seeing them flourish. This is such a positive picture. Help keep them safe. Help them succeed. Do you see yourself in this picture? So I have to admit that Jesus likely didn't do much skiing in his day. Um, Maybe I'll get to ski with him someday in the new earth. But for now, I'm going to direct us to the analogy that he used. It wasn't skiing. Um, It was these guys. It was shepherds. There were lots of shepherds back in Jesus' day. It was a very common and, and widely understood profession. And we see shepherds popping up in all kinds of circumstances in the Bible, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And Jesus talked about them a lot. Jesus even referred to himself as the great shepherd. And so I want to talk with you about shepherds for a while, because if we agree that we are striving to become more like Jesus every day, There are certain obvious things about Jesus that we can't just overlook. And this is one of them. There are three dimensions of shepherding that I'll walk us through this morning. There there are more directions that that we could go with uh, with this idea, but we're going to limit our discussion today to these three aspects. The three things that I want to look at are these. The heart of a shepherd, the work of a shepherd, and the need for shepherds. 
Um, I, maybe you did too, but I grew up with flannel graph Jesus. Two-dimensional Jesus stood perfectly still in the two-dimensional meadow with the two-dimensional sheep. And as a child, that was a very two-dimensional study for me. Not that it was done poorly. My mom taught me through flannel graph, and she was really good. She could bring a story to life with, just by moving these paper characters across the sheet. It was crazy. But as I grew up, I was introduced to many more dimensions in my study of the life of Christ. I've reached a point in my life where I want to see more of Jesus. And the reason that I want to see more of him is so that I know who I'm following. And the reason that I want to know who I'm following and and what he's like is so that I can become more like him. So I'm drawn to the heart of Jesus, the great shepherd. What does the heart of a shepherd look like? What does a shepherd see? Well, let's look at what Jesus with the heart of the great shepherd saw. There are a few points in the Bible where we we get to see Jesus pause and reflect on something. And he reacts to something. There's something that happens and, and he has this response to it. And so here's a case where Jesus sees something and he clearly reacts to it. This is Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. Matthew writes, when he, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus was traveling through the country, teaching, proclaiming the gospel, healing. And on his journey, he saw a lot. He saw a lot of people. And he reacted to what he saw. Matthew writes that Jesus saw all of this and he had compassion for the people that he saw. And let's start there. As I travel through the country, a.k.a. the grocery store, the gas station, the department store, the gym, the schools, the soccer fields, the farmer's market, the zoo, the museum, the church, how do I react? How do I react? Do I react with compassion? Do I see what Jesus sees? Have I ever asked him to show me what he sees in the situation that I'm in? Matthew 9.36 says that Jesus saw the crowds and he compared them to sheep in his mind. They were harassed and helpless. That's a very compassionate heart that Jesus is demonstrating there. And he could have seen them as rebels. They were going to die in their own sin and their consequences. He could have seen them as poor decision makers who would pay for their decisions. He could have seen them as his enemies. He could have seen them as nothing. Insignificant to him, but he didn't. He saw them as sheep that were in trouble, and he had the compassion of a great shepherd towards them. He didn't want to see them remain in the condition that they were in. What did he want to see? This is important for us. What did Jesus want to see? He wanted to see redemption. He wanted to see the restoration of their lives. Why? Because he created them. And as his creation, he loved them dearly. So dearly, in fact, that his response to their condition was to lay his life down for them. John 10 verse 11 says, and this is Jesus speaking, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Think about that. Laying down his life for the people he created who had fallen under the curse of sin was a very compassionate thing to do. 
They had become separated from God because of sin. And they and, they, and we weren't just innocent victims of sin's power. We sinned. They sinned by choice. Now, was compassion a good enough reason for Jesus to lay his life down for us, for the wandering sheep? If he did it because he's a great guy, then it was really all about him. He is a great guy. He is compassionate. And the abundance of compassion in the heart of Jesus is certainly enough to move him to a compassionate act like sacrificing himself. But I believe that there was more involved than a compassionate act. Beyond his compassion, there was us. And his vision of what could happen to us as a result of his compassion. The heart of a shepherd, the heart of Jesus, is a heart for restoration and redemption. Jesus came to restore and to redeem. Jesus came to lead us back to God and and, and back to being the people that he created us to be. The perfection of what he created is in his mind. It's in his heart. He wants to get back there. Jesus wants to see us here with him in the world the way that he originally created it to be. And whenever Jesus sees a life restored to a right place in him, knowing that one day God will fulfill his promise to restore the whole earth, Jesus sees that future picture of us here with him. And that thrills him beyond description. His heart sings over redemption and restoration. Does ours? Do we light up at the possibility of a life being redeemed? Do we get excited about guiding someone into a right place with God because we can see, at least to some degree, the future reality of that life, that person, being fully restored into an eternity with God? Do we see that? In imitating Christ, like what Peter talked about last week, we... We can't leave this out. Following the teachings of Jesus includes having the kind of change take place in our hearts that makes our hearts more like his. We see what he sees. We see people being redeemed and we see their eternity with God. Being like Jesus includes having our hearts transformed into the likeness of his heart. It includes seeing what a shepherd sees. Second dimension of a shepherd that I want us to look at is the work of a shepherd. The work of a shepherd. Now, in the process of becoming like Jesus, we tend to focus at first on the rules of Christianity or what do we need to do? What is it that we need to stop doing to be a follower of Christ? And it seems to be the full extent sometimes of our understanding of being a Christ follower. So I wanted to start our discussion with the idea of reflecting the heart of Jesus, his shepherd heart. But we can't just swing too far the other way on the pendulum from from doing the works of Jesus and being solely focused on that to having the heart of Jesus and being solely focused on that. Being a Christ follower is very much about our behavior Jesus said that if we love him, we'll do what he commanded. That's behavior-based. Our heads are involved. And our hearts are involved. 
and so are our hands. And my plan this morning is not to pull out the list of the do's and don'ts of what Jesus taught. This is more observation and imitation based. So, what does a shepherd do? Let's focus on that for a bit. We could go in a million different directions, but let's stay with the shepherd analogy. What do they do? For a long time now, I've seen two basic roles of a shepherd, two things that they do for the sheep. Shepherds protect the sheep, and they provide for the sheep. They protect and they provide for them. These two functions come from observing shepherds and learning about what they do. They come from the things that I see in the Bible about the role of a shepherd and about Jesus' ministry. And they kind of jump off the page if you slow down long enough to allow them to. Uh, As an example, let's go back to the first verse that we looked at regarding what Jesus sees. Matthew 9, 36. When he, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Look at what we find in this verse. Jesus sees them as sheep in need of a shepherd. And what would the shepherd do? Well, the sheep were being harassed. And so the shepherd would protect them from that harassment. And they were helpless, so he'd provide something for them to help themselves with. What does a shepherd do? He protects and provides for the sheep. Why? Because he sees future redemption like Jesus does. So what does that motivate the shepherd to do? Motivates shepherds to protect them from whatever's harassing them and provide them with what they need to flourish. Once again, we can see this picture in Jesus' words. He spoke very clearly in a passage that's never really had my attention until now. This is Luke chapter 19, verses 41 to 44. Just absorb this as we read it. It says, And when Jesus drew near and saw the city, Jerusalem, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, But now they're hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children with you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Now, when Jesus spoke of himself as the great shepherd, he described himself as the door to the sheep pen. He did this in the book of John. He talked about how safe his sheep were within the walls of his pen. Now look at the pen that he describes here. They'll have walls around them like a pen, but this pen will be the opposite of safe for them. They will be destroyed. As the great shepherd, Jesus wept over this future. This vision of their future. He saw that their future did not include redemption. It included only destruction. This is what he wanted to protect the sheep from. And so he worked to protect them and bring them safely into his fold. So does my life reflect the work of a shepherd? Now, I see that here in my ministry to this church. It's kind of my job. 
Or what about elsewhere? Because the work of a shepherd is not to be left to the professionals. It's for all of us. Have you ever thought of yourself as a shepherd in your neighborhood? Or your workplace? Or your school? On your team? In your club? Does your life reflect the work of a shepherd in the way that you see the people around you? Let's take your neighborhood, for example. And your program is an insert that takes us back to the series of messages we did a few years ago called the Jerusalem Mandate. Remember that? These are the steps that we talked about back then. This was a resource that we created to help us navigate what it looks like to be shepherds in our neighborhoods. Go over it again. Remind yourself of what we talked about. Remember that spring is coming and your neighbors are going to emerge from their caves again. And you're going to have an opportunity. We're all going to have more and more opportunities to look at our neighbors and look at ourselves and be shepherds there. Can we see our neighborhoods this way? Can we see our role in our neighborhoods as people who were placed there by God to protect and provide for those sheep? Can we see what Jesus sees? Will we do what Jesus does? Can we see our neighbors as sheep who are harassed and helpless and step into our role as shepherds in our communities? Can we see our role as those who will lead the people of our communities to their great shepherd where they will be safe and provided for? Will we do the work of a shepherd flowing from the heart of a shepherd final dimension of this shepherd analogy that I want to look at with you this morning is the fact that there is a need for shepherds. Following his reaction to the crowds that he saw, Jesus made a statement about that need. In Matthew 9, 36, he saw the crowds and he had compassion on them. In the following two verses, this is what we hear Jesus say to his disciples. This is Matthew 9, verses 37 and 38. Then he said to his disciples... The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. First, in verse 36, Jesus has a compassionate response to the people he sees. Then he calls others into his ministry. And I am very confident in saying that Jesus was also calling us with his words here. He called us, church, into his ministry. Jesus gives us a very encouraging invitation. He says, the harvest is plentiful. He didn't make some hopeless statement about the condition of mankind. He said that there's plenty to harvest. The world is ready for the message of restoration. The world is ready to hear about the grace of God. The world is ready to be led back to the fold of Jesus where they'll find protection and provision. Who's going to lead them there? Who's going to guide them down the mountain of life? 
Who's going to see that they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd and step into that void? Who's going to stand in front of them between them and the world? Who's going to protect them from the enemy? Chapel Hill Church, will we take up the ministry of Jesus Christ? He's not here right now to do it on his own. He called us to carry on what he started. He's called us to be his under-shepherds. He's called us to have compassion on the world around us and guide them back to their great shepherd. There is a need for shepherds. That need will be filled when we begin to see what Jesus sees and do what Jesus does. Making disciples comes down to being shepherds. In the way we think and in the way we act, will we be the shepherds that Jesus called us to be? I have a benediction for you this morning. It comes from the end of the book of Hebrews. This is Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And I have the ushers come forward now on the worship team. And I want you to come with me before the Lord this morning. You just bow with me in prayer. And as we come before the Lord, here's, here's what I want us to do. I want us to just be honest with him in how we respond to the world around us. Every day, we're faced with the reality of people who are like sheep, harassed and helpless. no shepherd and I want you to go ahead and bring to mind some of the the things you've seen around you some of the stories you've heard is it a young man that goes into a school and opens fire is it the Alarming rise of mental health issues, even here in this school district. Is it watching people around you try and make it all go away? By drinking themselves away from it. 
Is it that person that you know who is pouring everything they have into a career that's just going to end when their life ends? Is it the person struggling? Is it the single mom trying to do it all? Is it the couple that you can see that just can't get their relationship together? As we come before God this morning, church, just look around. Just look around in your mind and your heart. And hear Jesus say that the harvest is plentiful. See with Jesus a future for the people around you? Is it a future safe within his pen where Jesus himself is the door? Or is it the other pen that Jesus saw where the enemy surrounds them, builds walls around them and then tears them down and destroys them? Do we have compassion on them? Do we see what Jesus sees? Do we realize that becoming like Jesus includes taking on his heart, his eyes, and then becoming his hands, his feet. And here's how I believe that he wants us to see this as we stand before God this morning. This is an opportunity, church, to be shepherds in this world, to take the baton from Jesus Christ not to perform for him, but to take up his mission, his ministry, and carry on what he started and guide the people around us back to the great shepherd. Father, I ask this morning that you would give us the eyes that your son had that he still has, that you will help us to see what you see when we look at the world around us. That you will do what needs to happen in me, in my heart. So that I don't just turn the other way. I don't just look at how inconvenient it would be for me to be a shepherd in my, in my community. I, I don't just look at my own insecurities and, well, I can't do this or that very well. I'm an introvert. I, I have all the excuses. God, help me just to be rid of them. Help us to be rid of them. To be the shepherds that you've called us to be. To see what you see. And to do what Jesus does. To reflect your image in us here on earth. 
God, as we go out this week into the world again, help us to see with your eyes, to see the crowds, harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, and do something about it. To join Jesus Christ in bringing hope, light, grace, love, peace to this world. Move us towards them. Father, I thank you for all that you've done for us. I thank you for bringing us into the fold of Jesus Christ. I thank you for the door, for the reality that Jesus stands there and he protects us. That he has our spirit. We belong to him. We belong to you. Thanks for doing that in our lives. Thanks for making us your sons and daughters, for bringing us together as your church. We are yours. Do with us what you will. I invite this. I welcome this. In the name of Jesus Christ, your son. Amen.